What's Got up, buddy? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How's the weather up there? Holy shit, it's beautiful. Yeah? Yeah, you can't tell, but the sun's coming in through the windows here. Nice. Yeah, dude. Let's see. A, uh, let's well, see. brother, thank you for finally, after numerous weeks of like back and forth and scheduling and everything, um, we were able to get you know, a sit down and enjoy this. Um, I had several people hitting me up asking you to put you on, and and I was like, dude, really? I, I can't, I can't get a hold of him. And they were oh. like, I'm like, yeah, dude. And I'm like, I, I know he's doing his own thing. I know he's, you know, he's in in great spirit. So I don't know. And then when you popped out of nowhere on the gram. <laughs> I figure I'm like I'm gonna reach out one more time, and then yeah. said yes, and I'm like holy shit! In response, <laughs> so here we are. I got my man, my brother, one of my mentors. <clears throat> oh, stop! I'm not even I'm not even gonna say your name because I want you to introduce yourself. The oh fact man, that, you, know, you you are part of like big influence in the barbering community, and you know. <laughs> introduce yourself it's what crazy you, here you know what um so my god birth given name is dylan ray johnson and uh i'll be honest man i i've thought about changing my name recently <laughs> uh -huh. um you know i've gone through such a transformation the last four years that um i really don't even feel connected to to this person um you know i i feel like the first 40 years of my life were were living someone else's life it, it's like i look back and and think of memories and i i it's like looking it's like watching someone else's movie about them you know right it's pretty wild man um you know, it, it's, it's funny to hear you say, you know, I'm doing good or in a good place. And, you know, it, it's cool. It's, I appreciate that because, um, I haven't been in a good place for a long time and okay. it, you know, it's a, it's a daily, it's a daily struggle and it's, it's real. And, uh, you know, um, I mean, you know, I guess this is, this is appropriate to get into it, but, uh, a big part of, you know, my, my struggle with my identity as a barber and leaving the barber industry has a lot to do with, um, you know, my connection to my identity and, right. um, you, you know, I, I grew up, I don't know if you know much about my background and, uh, you know, the first, I don't know, the first, really the first 39 years of my life, I, I, I didn't show people who I really was. I didn't live who, you know, I, I didn't talk about myself. I didn't talk about 
how I grew up. I didn't talk about the issues I dealt with. I didn't talk about anything personal. Um, I created this, um, I, I, I created this, um, defense mechanism when I was pretty young to deal with trauma in this like blind optimism and, you know, positivity. And if I could make people smile or be friendly, it would take the attention off myself and it would make me feel like there was hope, you know? And so I could just ignore everything about who I really was and who I really was, was someone that, you know, grew up in severe extreme poverty. Um, you know, I grew up with multiple uncles who were hell's angels who were cooking meth when in my house, when I was going to elementary school. Um, and you know, I started at a young age learning how to live a double life and I would live with my grandma for, you know, either on the weekends or, you know, when things were really bad, she'd come get me. Um, and I, I would go to my grandma's house and be, you know, the kid who, you know, my, my grandparents were kind of a famous family in Chino. Uh, my grandpa was involved in the city and was a planning commissioner and he was a butcher and serviced the dairies in Chino and had a long history there. And my uncle was a city councilman. So that side of my family, you know, was, was pretty well off. And my mom being an outlaw, she, my mom is adopted and she was just an outlaw and she is an outlaw (laughs) just straight up. You know, there's, there's no, no way around it. She, she didn't fit in. She didn't feel like she was a part of anything real in her life and, and went down a really wild road. And, you know, I would wake up at five, six years old and, and there would be like, you know, I don't know how family oriented this, this is, but, you know, on a real, on a real level, you know, I think this ties into where I'm at right now in my life is, you know, I would, I would wake up, get ready to go to school. And there were like lines of speed on the counter while I was brushing my teeth. Oh shit. You know, you know, and that went on until I was 14 and I started getting, getting arrested in seventh grade and I was on my own. I used to sleep on the the roofs of churches around Chino, <laughs> no you know, with with the squatters and the punk rock kids in Chino, and we would sleep on the churches, and uh, you know, tag and vandalize. And I got arrested in seventh grade for tagging for graffiti, <laughs> and I had a, you know I had a bag of meth in my backpack in middle school, <laughs> and so that turned into a nightmare. And, you know, it, a part of my reflection on, on my life so far is I'm having this issue, you know, imposter syndrome is very real. And, uh, you know, 90% of the people I knew, you know, the first 17 years of my life never made it out of that. You know, um, I started getting arrested in seventh grade. I was the last time I went to jail, um, I was 17 and I didn't think I'd, I'd see my 18th birthday, right. you know, and that, and that was a victory when 18 came around, I was like, Woo, this is crazy. You know, we celebrated like, <laughs> you yeah. know, and then, and then 21 came around and, you know, and then it just went on from there. And, and it was like, once I hit, you know, I started going to church 
in when I was 17 because I knew, I knew inside of myself that I had the power and could make the decision to change where I was going. Right. You know, and I started going to punk rock shows at a really young age. I, I have older cousins and, and an older brother, and they used to take me to punk rock shows when I was like 11 and 12. And <clears throat> I loved the fashion, you know, I, I love the music, I love the mindset, but I also love the fashion. And I, and I was drawn to the hair. And I remember there was a time in sixth grade where we were, I was driving with my mom and I saw, I saw this kid with like, you know, this, this is like 1992, you know, and there was a kid walking down the street with like a tri hawk, you know? Yeah. I remember those, You, you know? And, uh, and I remember going and he turned and was smoking a cigarette, had some tattoos and like smiled and, and I was like, oh, you know, like, hey, like, like smiled at him. I'm 12 years old in the car with my mom. My mom's smoking and all like, you know, tweaking and shit. And, and I'm, I turn to my mom and I go, mom, oh man, he has like the greatest smile and, and looks cool and all this stuff. And I go, does that mean I'm gay? <laughs> you know, cause I, I, you know, cause right. I never heard, I never heard people talk about like, you know, fashion and, and being friendly and, and, you know, the beauty of life. And I was always deeply affected by those things. And I thought I was weird and different. And, you know, my mom, my mom laughed and was like, no, I, I think you just appreciate things different and you see things differently. And, <clears throat> you know, by the time, by the time I was 14, two years later, I was cutting hair in my grandma's garage. Okay. And, you know, it, it was the type of thing where I had a couple of friends that got tattoo machines when we were 14. And we started our first band when we were 12 or 13. So by the time we were freshmen in high school, I was cutting hair in my grandma's garage while someone was getting a tattoo and someone else was having band practice. <laughs> and because, you know, my grandma's house was a safe place for us all right. to go. She had food, we could eat, we could, we were safe. No one was trying to stab us. And, you know, we, we could smoke cigarettes and drink beers in my grandma's garage. And she was, she just wanted us to be safe and be somewhere that was, you know, we weren't out getting, getting in trouble. Um, so that, you know, that was kind of my first introduction was like shaving mohawks and, nice. you know, we would all skateboard in the front of the house. I would be doing a mohawk or like free handing, you know, like from the side. And I didn't know what I was doing. Um, <clears throat> and there was like this old veterano barbershop on the corner that I would go to. And, uh, this dude who still has the barbershop in Ontario, uh, like from a neighborhood, this, uh, shit. You remember the name? Yeah. Ramon. Okay. Uh, the bar, the barbershop, it actually, um, dude, people in that area, shit, what's the name of the shop? I forget the name of his barbershop. He's still cranking. And, <clears throat> you know, so from like 14 to 17, I used to go every two weeks and get like a high and tight, um, you know, I was greasing my hair like the rockabilly dudes and, yep. um, you know, but everyone I knew had mohawks and, and things. So, um, I was going to that barbershop. It was big W barbershop in Chino. 
Shout out Big Dub. Big Dub. Uh, <laughs> that's where a lot of people started. I think uh, Rob from Stay Gold used to work there. Went there, yeah. Um, I think he did. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there, there's like a family tree from Big W for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, ninety eight, nineteen ninety eight. I went in there, and he, Ramon was like, "Hey, man." you've been coming in and I've been like giving you secrets and tips and, you know, for three years now, you've been like, kind of like, you know, like being a a scratcher in the garage, you know, like you're not doing it the right way. Like I shouldn't be giving you and helping you with this information for you to go and do haircuts in your garage. And you're, you know, potentially, you know, taking business from us. You know, because all the kids in the neighborhood were either going to him or they were going to me by that time right. <laughs> at that point. So <clears throat> it's it's so crazy, dude. Like I had this I had this like image in my head of like, you know, you go to school, um, you get out of school, you get a regular job, a, a trade or whatever it was. And you work your way up and you have a great life and, and you, you know, taxes and bills are paid and everything's great because for the first 17 years of my life, like I had zero guidance. I, I had no mentors. I had no male figures in my life. No one was telling me like life advice, you know, right. counselors at school thought we were all going to end up in jail or dead. They didn't care. Um, and he was, the only they one. don't give a shit, you know? <laughs> right. Right. So, but you know, it's crazy. The reason I say that is the entire time, you know, during those three years, I did not once think that I could cut hair and make a living because you think about it, 1998, the only people making money in the hair industry were hairstylists. And, you know, I, I, you know, people knew I cut hair and, and I was obsessed with tradition. I was obsessed with history. My grandfather was a World War II veteran. Um, you know, I loved like the, the, the like visceral experience of barbering in the time. Like I loved, you know, everything about the history of it. And I was obsessed with that. And it was just a dead, a dead tradition at that time. Like, you know, the, the neighborhood barbershop, Big W, they were charging like, you know, $11 a haircut or something. And I'm just, you know, I'm thinking in my head, like, that's not a career. Like everyone has to do something else and cut hair. Um, you know, and, and in that conversation, he's like, dude, it's been three years and I've given you all kinds of tips and tricks. He's like, you either make a decision to go to barber school and come here on the weekends and work with us uh, or that's it. Like, I, I can't keep doing this. You know, he's like, you're going to graduate high school soon and you got to figure shit out on your own. Right. And dude, I, I pulled the worst move ever, (laughs) but it was important because I learned from this moment. But in that moment, I looked at him and I was like, thanks, but no thanks, you know? And I I was a, a shitty, shitty, like, punk kid in that moment like everything went out the window and I was like yeah no thanks I you know I didn't know how to respond to first of all a man talking to me as a man you know um I I was raised by nothing but women and with no guidance and so 
I only saw when someone had a real moment with me like that, I, I only associated that with the police or something bad, yeah. you know, someone telling me what to do. And if you're going to tell me what to do, I'm going to go and do the opposite, you know? Yep. <laughs> so I, I straight up, I was just offended him <laughs> and said, thanks, but no thanks. And he was like, all right, kid, like get the fuck out of here and don't come back, you know? <laughs> so, so dude, fast forward, kind of crazy. I, um, I, um, so I graduate high school and I moved to Costa Mesa. Right. And because, you know, we had going, been going to Huntington beach and Hank going to shows and, and hanging out. I went straight to Costa Mesa cause I wanted to be by the water. I've always been drawn to the water. Right. And <clears throat> I, I, I got an apartment with three roommates on 19th and Whittier, uh, okay. It's like the end of 19th going like northwest towards Huntington, like Seal Beach area. Yeah. And if you take 19th back towards Newport Boulevard at the time, I don't know if you remember, it was like uh, Nike Town was right there. Yeah. The, yep. Virgin, the Virgin Megastore. Virgin was Records. Right there. Yeah, Virgin yep. Records. Tower was down the way. Yeah. Um, so I was skateboarding around that area and I got a job. Uh, you know where Condom Revolution was? Or yeah. Was? I don't know. If it's <laughs> so yeah. down that, that strip. Yeah, right. So if you look at Condom Revolution and you look to the left um, and you go down that strip, there was a cafe at the at the end called right. Cafe Ruba. Yep. And uh, so I got a job at Cafe Ruba working the newsstand. I was selling magazines and cigarettes. <laughs> okay. You know, like they, people go in, get their coffee. They come out, play pool. I, I was selling like literally like a New York style newsstand uh, in 1999. And uh, Black Flies was right next door. There was like the first Black Flies store. Yeah. So they were always having parties. It was like when Volcom started. So the Volcom warehouse, they were always having parties. It was a crazy like party fest on that strip. Yeah. Late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> Um, that part of Costa Mesa was popping. <laughs> Everyone was heading out there. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> so, you know, so on my way from, from 19th and Whittier, I would cut through the neighborhood and there was a park where all the homeless people used to hang out called Lions yeah. Park. You know what's right across the street from Lions Park <laughs> on 18th and Newport, the Hollywood's Barbershop, baby. Yep. So, dude, so I would ride my skateboard through the neighborhood, hang out at the park. I'd fucking get high at the park, <laughs> say what's up to the, like, the, the greaser dudes at the barbershop. Because Donnie, this was the summer of 1999. Donnie opened in February of 99. I moved there in May because I graduated high school a month early. Okay. I moved there. He'd been open like two and a half months and it was just him and Eric Webb and uh, Eric, <clears throat> dude, the fucking Eric Webb is, he's the godfather for real. Oh yeah. You know? So <clears throat> I would like see all those hot rods out front and I'd be like, you know, dude, I already had tattoos. I was, I was 1999. I was 18. I turned 18 that April. I started getting tattooed in my garage, in my grandma's garage at 14. So, you know, I was the kid with like the baby face, but like uh, my full left arm sleeved already. <laughs> right. You know, neck tattoos at 18, fucking grimy punk rock kid. Um, 
smoking cigarettes on the corner of the barbershop with these dudes on my way to work <laughs> at the cafe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, so Donnie would, would come down to Cafe Ruba and he, on his breaks and he'd buy cigarettes. That's where everyone came to buy, you know, cigarettes and uh, magazines and whatever. He'd get a coffee and hang out with like the, the young barista girls and shit. And Donnie at the time was fucking cool, man. Like, like this was, you know, this was, he had finally opened his shop, uh, you know, f- like realized his dreams, got married, had his first daughter and they were living like right around the corner. And Donnie was fucking cool, man. He was, he was sweet. He was like, loved people he was welcoming he wasn't offensive he like he didn't wasn't divisional like decisive he he was a really good fucking dude and he loved his wife you know and and he was madly in love with with his wife then julie and uh you you'll know her because she was in that uh that butterfly video from crazy town <laughs> I know who she is. She was one of the girls, the butterfly, sugar, baby, or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. She was in that. So, so you know, and hanging out, I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, I actually used to cut hair. Like, I quit cutting hair, you know, literally just like months ago uh, to move here. And I've been cutting hair for like three three years already, you know? Like, I started cutting hair in like 1994 or 95, Right. Not not cutting hair. I don't use that. I don't say that's when I started. I don't use that as a timeline, you know, but I was holding clippers in my hand doing haircuts. And, you know, that he was like, all right. Okay. You know, all right. We'll 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 see. We'll see what, <laughs> what what's going on. Yep. And so, <clears throat> you know, he was he opened his doors to me and was just like, dude, come and hang out and um you know, make friends and be a part of the shop. Um, shortly after that is when Eli be, got a job sweeping. Uh, you know, Eli Justice. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. so Eli grew up in Costa Mesa and he showed up and he started going to barber school in like 99, 2000 and sweeping Donnie's floors. So Eli and I were like the young kids around there. And Costa Mesa didn't work out. I I got really fucked up and I called my grandma and I was like, Hey, I, this isn't working. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, if I come home, will you, will you, uh, help me go through barber school and I want to become a barber. Right. And, and, uh, she said, sure, come back to Chino and, and we'll do it. So by, shit by that following summer in 2000 uh i had moved back to chino and enrolled at the pomona barbering school uh school of barbering and cosmetology on indian hill and holt in the hood dude i saw a fucking homeless lady shoot her fucking homeless husband across the street one morning okay that was crazy so yeah so really that's um I read in an interview years ago that Donnie claimed that he saved me from the book stand. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That shit. He's like, he's like, I saved Dylan from selling cigarettes and magazines at a book stand one time. 
How about the, um, but, you know, back to the Donnie story. How about, uh, remember yeah. when he, what was it? I think it was 2016, 2015, where he crashed into the, um, into the, what was that called? The transformer down on, <laughs> in Costa Mesa and shut On Newport Boulevard. Yeah. And then yeah. he claimed that he saw, yeah, run, run over a fucking possum. <laughs> yeah. And then, who I don't remember who sent the article, but we were all laughing. Yeah, yeah. And we were just cracked oh, up. Dude. Oh, dude. Yeah. He and and he happened to be in front of his girlfriend's grandma's house <laughs> spying on her. <laughs> He's like, no, that's just the way I drive. I just drive by there at three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, right. Dude. Hey, hey, no, no joke, man. Like, like I've I mean, my time, so, you know, I ended up spending, I, I ended up spending six years there from 2002 to 2008. Right. And, and in 2002, he was that guy I first met. Like he, everyone was his friend, you know, it, essentially like he still ended up, you know, being that way. And, but instead of like being, you know, hateful and angry and bitter. It was the opposite. He was so in love with life. He was in love with people. He, he loved the human experience. He was so sweet when I, when I started working there and, and I, I've never seen someone like be, be wronged by a person in a single moment and have them flip in that moment um, so hard. Like, like I, I've never s- seen a different example of that more than the example of Donnie Holly. Like, that dude, so I don't know if you know the story. <laughs> no. But, you know, he, we had a good time. And we had fun. And he was rad. And he came home one day and realized that his wife was having sex with his friend. Oh, Ooh. Yeah. Okay. And he he had opened barber the barbershop and was still working part-time at Home Depot to make mm-hmm. it make it work. So right. she could stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom and raise their daughter. So, you know, he was at the barbershop and then would go would go home for a couple hours and go work graveyard at Home Depot. He did that for like the first year the barbershop was open. And in 2003, he went home and opened up a box and saw, found some Polaroids. And he was never the same. And, yeah. and it, it still plagues him today. Um, you know, women were in the, allowed in the shop. Like we used to take our girlfriends in there and we were like, there were no rules and he was sweet. He would welcome everyone. And the second that happened, that's when he used to close the door on women when they would walk in the barbershop with their kids. He'd close, he'd wait for the kid to walk in and close the door on them. Wow. And, and, and that started like day one. Like we had no idea what was going on at first and he came to work and he was angry, dude. He was bitter. And we were like, yo dude, like what's going on? And he wouldn't talk about it. And, and I, I tell you what, man, 
that that one catalyst of a moment set him on a trajectory that fucking changed his life. Yeah. He he stopped trusting everybody. Like this was a guy, this dude that that he caught was a dude that was around the barbershop. We knew him, everyone knew him in Costa Mesa, Newport, like Huntington. This was like this dude, he was a part of some shit. And he and Donnie were like roll dogs, you know? Right. And it ruined Donnie's life. It ruined his life. He, I used to, dude, I used to go upstairs to his apartment. He, he couldn't come down to work. And I would have to go upstairs. And he would be on his hands and knees in his living room crying, dude. Hysterical. I mean, this shit ruined his life, man. I'd never seen, I had never seen one thing, one moment like that wreck a person you know in that way yeah you know and and that bitterness and that hatred just never ended because then you know as we all find out unfortunately it happened to me later down the road you as you get older you find out you know things are temporary and people come and go and people are going to hurt you you know and and unfortunately we're powerless and we can't control how people are and you know, as, as the longer time went on, the more he realized, fuck this shit. Like, fuck everybody. <laughs> you know, everyone's going to hurt me. Everyone's out to get me. Everyone's out to use me and manipulate me. He didn't trust anybody, you know. And so that at that point, he started taking it out on us. You know, then he started questioning our agenda. Like, you know, like, oh, Dylan's just here to fucking use me. And he, you know, he just... He just wants to, you know, get something out of being here. And he turned on me, you know, about halfway through my time there, Um, you know, and that saying misery loves company, man, (laughs) I tell you what, every chance he got, he tried to get people to cheat on their girlfriends and wives. Every chance he got, you know, taking photos at parties, like, you know, like slimy shit, dude. He turned, man, it turned him into an evil person. Well, I mean, looking <clears throat> now, uh, you know, fast forward to 2023, he, from what I've heard, he doesn't even own none of the shops, you know, completely shut down. Every barber, yourself, Eli, Eric Webb, everyone that B-Cam, everyone that, you know, was part of like, that generation of barbering and the last generation, which it was mine, we no one associates with him because he burned every bridge that came across him. And, you know, um, there was one time where he called me on Christmas Eve. Wow. And he was hammered. Wow. And he was like, hey, Carnal, you know, we we got to talk. We got to do this and this, this and that. I was like, you know what, dude? We'll chat when you're sober. Because mm-hmm. when you're high in the clouds and you have alcohol, you tend to say some shit that later on you're not, you don't fucking remember, or, you know, it's water under the bridge. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so let's just talk when you're sober, dude. And he's like, mm-hmm. all right. And then when I was working with Andis, Clipper Company, he, uh, he came by the booth and started talking shit. And I was mm-hmm. like, what the, I was like, dude, 
the fuck is wrong with you, yo? Mm-hmm. You know, so for me, I was like, you gotta right. give him his flowers. I mean, the reason you're standing there is because of him. Obviously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. But the reality is that it had nothing to do with him. He was Man. just bitter. The fact that I knew Pedro, yeah. you know, Pedro and Scotty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was more relatable with Scotty and Pedro and, and everyone else than, and nobody around him was putting him on that pedestal like the younger generation of barbering. Mm-hmm. And also, Mm-mm. the dude lost it all from what mm-hmm. I've heard. You know, yeah. I, I haven't spoken to him and shit. I got to say maybe like 10 years now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, since it, the last time. But It might be one of the saddest cases I've ever experienced, you know. Um, yeah. it, it's I sad. Mean, it, it is. It's sad. Because these are just symptoms, right? Like these yeah. are symptoms of of mental health issues and, and the way that we treat people. And, you know, it's just a symptom. And, and the, you know, there's a few of us, there are a few of us that were around 23 years ago that, that saw that person who was sweet, you know, the, the good things about him that he still carries with him, that was just multiplied. And, and he could have been, I mean, he could have been the fucking, he could have been like, you know, could do no wrong. Like if he, if he didn't go down that path, he would be like a fucking legend right now. You know what I mean? Like, like bringing people together and that promotion and marketing and like, like just that networking that he does. Like he has some qualities as a person that like, if he would have skipped all that bitterness and dealt with it and like (laughs) fucking got some therapy, maybe some medication, um, you know, he'd be like the fucking Jesus of the barbering industry and the flowers that he thinks he demands from everybody. If you're a barber in fucking Belgium, you know, and you got your barber license in any time after 1999, you're supposed to give him your respect. Right. Yeah. And if he, if that was, if, if he had actually dealt with his shit and stayed who he was, that person would be doing that, you know? And that's the crazy thing to see, like, take a step back. Like there was a moment where I, I I know, you know, I don't want to make this about Donnie, but like, you know, (laughs) real quick, this is the first time I've, I've spoken to anyone about, you know, barbering uh, in a really long time. And, and it's the only time I'm going to do a podcast. And I would love to just, just as a sidebar, I'd probably love to do like a multiple parter with you because, yeah. you know, we, we're going we, to. Yeah. Okay. We could go down some roads and I feel like it's probably necessary at this point. Yeah. But just to finish up with that, um, you know, there were moments where Omar came around, you know, Omar Romero okay. came to the shop in 2004, 2005. It might've been 2000 at the end of 2004 because I was in a band called eaten alive like a thrash punk band we put out a record on 1917 records in the south bay um in 2005 and omar was around for that so omar might have showed up in 04 but you know omar and eli and i the three of us that was that was the solid crew for a long time before he got the long beach shop and the huntington shop before he blew up at the end of the 2000s from like 03, you know, to 09, really like six year period, it was the three of us and Donnie. And, 
you know, we, we would, we would all lose hope. And then there would be a moment where Donnie would come to us broken and, you know, like asking for help and we would help him and we would, you know, we took him to church at one point. None of us went to church except Eli, (laughs) but like we were all like, Hey, if this guy is, is, has these moments of like real shit and he's broken and he needs help, his, his health was failing at the time. He's got Crohn's disease, you know, all kinds of stuff. We were, we started really helping him. Like, and there were moments in that, in that like true emotion where he was so broken that he was reaching out for help. And we always said, no matter how fucked up things get, he tried to, you know, he slit Omar's wrist open with a straight razor at one point. Omar still stuck around and tried to help the guy, you know? And in those moments where you see a real person, you know, you, you can't walk away from it and you want to be there to help. And right. it, it would, you know, he would change and, and it would work for a couple of weeks and fuck a couple of weeks later, he's fucking DMing your, your wife trying to break up your marriage, you know, doing some weird shit. And, you know, I don't know. It's it, unfortunately he's reaping the rewards of, of, of his decisions at this point. I got out of there. Omar got out of there, obviously. Um, you know, and, and we all went on different paths and, uh, you know, it, it, it helped me for a long time. It it was really necessary for me to be there and it helped my career obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, we, are you still there? Yeah. Uh, Oh, whoa. Hey, now I'm next to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and, and we all went through some real crazy, serious stuff at that time. Like we went through some life shit <laughs> with in our own journeys, you know, like um, Eli, Omar, myself. Car- Dude, that's where Carlos started. Carlos, um, you know, from American Vintage, rest in peace. Rest in um, peace, Carlos. Yeah. You know, Carlos, Carlos came with Omar and they were, they were pulling all nighters in the shop, playing music and cutting hair with Santos and like all the wild records guys. Um, you know, and, and we went through, we went through some real stuff, the three of us, me, Omar and Eli to the point where our bonds as, as friends were so strong that we couldn't leave. Right. You know, like I stayed, I probably stayed two or three years longer than I should have. Um, you know, there was an, a, a situation in Vegas at, at uh, Viva where I threw a cocktail glass at Donnie. Um, you know, I had like, I had like $2,500 cash from Layright sales in my pocket. You know, <laughs> dude, one thing that should be said is, Layright is a proprietary product, right? 100%. 100%. Um, there was a product in Japan that, that inspired it. Um, but, oh, yeah. but, you know, I, we watched Donnie put everything he had in his life into that first run of Layright back in, uh, I think it was like 2001 or two when he first did his first run. Um, <clears throat> and, and there was nothing like it. And it changed, it changed the industry, you know? Um, and we went through that whole process 
Eli, Omar, and myself, we were, we were testing the product. We were using the product for him. We, we were helping him make decisions, business decisions. Um, and that really, that was, that was like a really crucial bond for all of us, I think. And, and the unfortunate thing is, you know, the, none of the three of us are asking for our flowers, but if you want to get down to the brass tacks of things, you know, we, we helped Donnie put that, put out that product. We tested yeah. that product. There were versions of Layrite that he wanted to put out that were not Layrite, <laughs> you know? Um, and we worked all the shows we fucking, you know, set up in, in a hundred degree heat at, at, a. Um, like the rockabilly shows yeah the the hoot nanny or whatever yeah, the, nanny. the viva we you know we sacrificed yeah. a lot we didn't get paid he wouldn't pay us you know when we would work in Ve- in vegas at viva he would take all the cash out of our hands and say kick rocks you know and that's why i threw a cocktail glass at his face <laughs> you know what i mean i was like dude yeah. like you're not going to disrespect me in front of my wife at the time like it was crazy dude we went through some stuff and yeah. um you, you know the night like omar omar got into boxing right <clears throat> like 2006 he was like you know wanted to lose some pounds he was shredding some lbs he joined a boxing club in long beach and he he gets finished with a client walks over to the sink at the at the original shop the small shop and donnie is rinsing off his straight razor in the sink and omar omar's on the phone like this and he's jabbing donnie in the in the ribs right and we used to do this thing where we used to put fake blood on the back of our straight razors and we would like slide it across people's arms and and things and it would look like it cut you well <laughs> Donnie, Omar's on the phone, not paying attention, and he's jabbing Donnie in the ribs. And I don't know if you've heard this story. No, but go ahead. Dude, Donnie is rinsing his straight razor off, and Omar's over his left shoulder, and he goes, get off me. Just like that, just like real quick. And I truly believe he thought that straight razor was flipped around. Flipped around, okay, and caught him. But Omar being on the phone, he was just like, he was jabbing and leaving his hand out. He wasn't pulling his hand back, really. Right. You know what I mean? He was just kind right. of being lazy, like, oh, you know? Yeah. And when he did that, Donnie's like, get off me, like playing around. And he caught Omar's wrist. And f- he sunk that straight razor into his wrist, severed three tendons, mm. and, and pulled it out like this. Omar grabs his hand back and drops to the ground to his knees. There was blood all the, the whole motion of him pulling his hand back through blood right. on the ceiling, the wall. And, you know, Omar is an incredible, you know, guitar player. He finger picks and shit, you know, and he severed all three of these tendons in his, in his right hand, a finger pick. Oh, yeah. So Omar drops to his knees. I'm with a client. Eli's with a client and it's, we're in the small shop. I run over, I rip off Omar's tie and I tie it around the wound. I, I tied a knot in the wound on his wrist and Finch at the time, Evan Finch, who works at True Blue with Eli now, yep. he, he was our helper. This is like 6 p.m., dude, on a Friday. We got a shop full of people and he slits Omar's wrist with a straight razor. It sunk in there, dude. Oh. And 
I tied his, his tie from his neck on his wrist in the wound. Finch grabbed him and took him in his truck and sped off to Hogue Hospital, dude. And they saved Omar's life in the emergency room. Oh, shit. It was crazy, dude. When Omar was on the ground with his hand over his over the wound like this, blood yeah. was coming out between his fingers. Between his fingers. It was just... Dude, I cleaned up blood on the ground for 30 minutes while my client waited for a neck shave. <laughs> it was crazy. And Donnie, dude, Donnie the whole time is working with his client behind the chair like, he'll be fine. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's good. He's fine. Oh, he'll be fine. Fucking didn't do shit. And then, and then, and then put out a bucket, you know, to raise some money for Omar. And I mean, maybe paid for like, two weeks worth of bills right <laughs> no one has insurance right yeah and, and then tells everyone oh yeah i i raised i i took care of omar when he was down and all this shit <laughs> dude and omar still stuck around you know because that that was the bond that we had and it wasn't about donnie it was about the three of us and what we yeah. were doing and carlos and and the wild records dudes and jesse carlos's brother and you know it was like American Vintage was born from that. You know, True Blue was born from that. All the other fucking barbershops, like Syndicate Barbershop was born from that. You know what I mean? Like um, fucking, you know, the proper barbershop with Vinny and Trent originally was born from that. Vinny was a client of mine when he was in high school and I cut his hair for prom, you know? (laughs) It was crazy. So, you know, we had like this like, really like true real bond that kept us there right. and we couldn't fucking leave man and uh you know fuck <laughs> well fast forward um not a lot of people know about this and very few that they're in the industry and that know you don't know uh, that you cut the actress for the movie john wick Oh, word. Ruby Remember Rose. the girl? What's her name? Um, yeah, girl. Ruby Rose. Yeah, Ruby Rose. Mm-hmm. You know, so every mm-hmm. single time the movie comes on or, you know, there's a barbershop and then playing it, I tell them, like, hey, you know who cut her hair? Guy <laughs> right over here. <laughs> oh, and that's cool. Like, no way. And I'm like, yep, yep. <laughs> like, that's Dylan's work right there, you know? Uh, that's cool, man. Um, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, that that is actually a pretty cool situation. Um, uh, you know, and I'll be honest, like like she and I are just friends. Right. Like, you know, she she came over here from Australia um, twenty eleven. It was right after I I went to the proper in right. Hollywood, and uh, and I had a couple friends who went to meetings and who were you know sober and. Um, uh, one, one of these dudes was like, Hey, my home girl's here. She's a model at the time. She was a model for Maybelline. <laughs> that was okay. it, you know, and had like maybe 60,000 followers on Instagram at the time. That was fucking huge. Yeah. Right. I didn't know anything about it. And, uh, he was just like, yo, my home girl's here. Do you have a, a time to clean her up? She's got a cool haircut. And it was cool because we just, I didn't know who she was. She came in, we were, we hung out. Um, that first time was pretty funny though, because so she was stoked, loved the shop. We had a good time that dude, that shop was rad at the time. And, uh, 
And so I cut her hair and she, we take a picture together. Right. And this was like 11 AM. Like this was still like before noon and early in the day. And so I don't touch my phone. I was busy that back then. And I I didn't touch my phone until like five or six that night. Dude, Tyler and Nick Rossi are like, yo, dude, have you been on Instagram? (laughs) I'm like, no, I, I haven't been on my phone. And they're like, dude, you should look at your phone right now. Your Instagram is is doing something. Like something happened. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> dude, I opened up my phone. I had no joke, dude. I couldn't load Instagram because the it, like my notifications wouldn't refresh. And oh. so by the time I re- I like got it to refresh, and this is like 5 p.m. or something like right. later. Dude, by the time I got it refreshed, it had 780 uh, ads like follows. I was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) It was so much that like, I couldn't go down to the origin of it. Right. You know, like I couldn't find out where it started. I'm like, what is going on? Like someone must've just like, you know, (laughs) whack barbers on blast must've put me up or something, you know, or something. And, uh, dude, all she did was post the the picture of us together. (laughs) Right on her Instagram That's and, exactly. dude yeah. for the next like two or three years, my client was like half women, like female models and shit after that. <laughs> she, she changed my career. You she know? changed it. Dude, yeah. She, and yeah. that's, that was doing, um, right after that. Right. That's when you started working with uh, unite and go 24. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Unite. Yeah. Unite. Vinny and I had been shopping around products for a while and he and I were like, we're just going to make a product. Um, I had been involved in Laywright. I had been involved in Holdfast. Um, I had owned Holdfast at one point and developed it with Josh. And so, you know, and Vinny was like, Vinny had some decent backing and we were like, we're going to do a product. And we started designing a product. It was black and gold. Um, it, it, we had everything laid out on the table and then these like three like British dudes came to the shop one day and they were like, Hey, like we've, we've done some research. We, we have this like women's line called unite. It's a boutique, um, salon product. We had, we had tried to work with products in the past, Vinny and I, since I went to proper, it was kind of the point of me going there was to expand our careers together. And none of the products that we had found were really like a legit full line right. that did what it said it did, um, that had good, you know, ethics and, and what, like we cared about the people behind the product. Nothing really checked all the boxes for us. And, and these guys came in and they were fucking cool man and they they supported what we wanted to do and they showed us their product that first day and it was exactly what Vinny and I had been designing no you shit. know the go 24/7 cans that was that was it was like almost the font was the exact font you know and so so yeah that turned into a fucking incredible journey um you know publishing collections and and fashion shoots and 12 countries and doing show directing stage shows myself like that opened the door to a whole whole different part of my career and it's really why i went there 
to be honest. Uh, You know, when I left syndicate, I was in a bad place in my career. I was in a bad place in my personal life. Um, you know, I want, I had finally had the the time to like put everything aside. I wasn't going to be in a band anymore. I wasn't going to like focus on any other thing, but my career. And when I went to the proper, it was the first time where I was like, I'm going to make my career successful. I, I started seeing all these other barbers like buying cars and buying homes. And I had spent almost 10 years as a barber struggling week to week to pay my bills. You know, I, I didn't have any mentors. I didn't, I didn't, I had no one in my personal life that I could ask to make good personal decisions and, and right. financial decisions. So for the first time in my life, I was like, I'm going to make it a priority to be successful financially, not just successful, you know, building clients. And, you know, I, 10 years as a barber, I feel like I had established enough of, you know, who I was as a barber to be able to focus on that. I wanted to teach, you know, education was, was huge for me. I was a youth, I was involved in youth ministry as, as a kid. So I wanted to teach and do some stuff and, and that, that really, that, that time actually felt like I was finally like, it was one of the only real times in my life until just recently that I felt like I was pursuing things for me. Um, and I got a lot of hate for it, dude, you know, to be honest, there were, there were dudes in Long Beach that were like, Oh, Dylan thinks he's fucking the shit. And he's cut, he's with famous people and all this stuff. And and after my my experience with Donnie and his ego, I had this complex, you know, to to not promote myself and to not like put myself on a pedestal and and, and to be humble. And I mm-hmm. thought I had been living that way. And when I, I went to the proper and I heard people talking shit that I actually loved, that I helped mentor. Like, you know, I've mentored over 20 people in their own careers and I don't talk about it. I don't, I don't have to say that like, you know, I'm not in the fucking barbershop book, you know, that, that was put out, but like 20 barbers that I fucking tried, helped put through barber school are, I never tell anyone that when, when it comes up, I'm actually stoked for everybody. Like I've always tried to be as authentic as possible. Like my genuine love for people and positivity for people is real. It's true. And I don't, you know, like I, I've always like, I've struggled with this thing in my life where I feel, I feel like because I never admitted who I was and where I came from, I think people always got a sense that I wasn't authentic because what it did was it took the real parts of me that people saw, but then something just didn't feel right. You know, when they were with me or when they were around me or when they saw me, they were like, yeah, like he's friendly, but something's not real, you know? And it took me a long time to realize that it, it, I projected that like not admitting the poverty that I came from, the drug abuse I came from, who I really was, the struggles I dealt with, mental health issues I struggled with every day. I never talked to anyone about it. I ignored it and I glossed over it. I didn't acknowledge it. And the re and because I did that, I think it gave people an error, like not an error, but like an error of like, something's not right with this Dylan dude. You know, he's cool at first, but then something feels off. And so 
you know, my, my love and, and, uh, you know, positivity for people, that was one of the only real things in my life. Like I never cared to be the guy. I never cared to be the person that people, you know, gave love and flowers to. I just wanted a friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Honestly, at the end of the day, like I just wanted to be your friend. I wanted to get a call to go hang out. And I spent 20 years as a barber not feeling like I had any real friends. You know, I, I didn't get introduced to anyone as Dylan um, for 20 years. It was always, this is my barber. You know how it is. This is, but you know, like, I, I always, right? Like I always had a title and, and I think that, that when we moved here, when I had a breakdown in 2019, I was on my hands and knees in the middle of my barbershop at the Statesman, hysterical. I didn't know where I was, and I had a real, legit, full-blown mental breakdown. And from that moment on, I, you know, I, I, I didn't want to be associated as a with a title. I didn't want a title. And when we moved here, um, it was the first time in my life that, like people I was introduced to people as just Dylan, you know, and it was the first time in my life that like no one knew anything about my history and I could be as real and as authentic and transparent as possible as I could. Right. And I was, and it was liberating dude. Like, you know, like the, the first friend I made here, um, it, it was hard for me to accept. It was hard for me to accept the fact that like, on a Saturday morning, someone would hit me up and be like, hey, you want to hang out? <laughs> you know, that hadn't happened in 20 years. Yeah. You know, I was always the person chasing everybody else. Like, what are you guys doing? Where's the cool shit? you like, I had FOMO to the max before because I didn't think anyone liked me. <laughs> you know, that's why I was always so friendly to everyone and like happy because I wanted friends, dude. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> you know. Like, God, that was, that was a huge tangent for Ruby Rose, but like, you know, it, it just, it just shows you like, like no matter how try, how hard you try to like not have an ego, not make things about you, um, no matter what, like if you've got some underlying shit inside of you and you're projecting it and you don't even realize it and it's, it's unchecked, like if you've got unchecked, like like it, it festers, dude. It, yeah. It's like a, like a parasite inside of you. And if you don't check that stuff, like it doesn't matter how nice and friendly and how cool you are, how good you are at your job. Like people are going to see that and they're going to treat you different. And yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I always tell when clients walk in or like they've been referred to me by, you know, certain people, friends, family, you name it, whatever. They're always like, well, I heard you're the best. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I mean, I don't even I know what the that. fuck I'm doing. I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing. And no. they're like, no, I mean, I saw your Instagram. I'm like, dude, that's just smoking mirrors. Mm. I'm like, that, what you see, it's something that just inspired me in the moment, take a picture and upload it. That was it. Boom. No, but I, I love you know, that. I heard stories about you that you're, you're fucking dope. I'm like, nah, man, I'm, I just fucking cut hair. Dude. I cut mm -hmm. hair. I'm in here. And I go home to my family. That's it. Mm. You know, simple. I love it. Because at the same time, you know, even when I was with Andes, man, to be honest, bro, being with Andes, 
It was a great experience with Andes and United and Goal 24. Mm-hmm. One of the most amazing experience to work for companies, you know, and you always want to put it on your resume that you get the opportunity to work for a company and you saw it grow and see what it is now today. Mm-hmm. And there were barbers that were hating. Why are you with Andes? Like, you don't even know how to cut hair. Why are you, why they picked you? And I'm like, honestly, I don't fucking know. I don't know why I was chosen, but I'm doing my job, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not easy to get on a platform and cut hair in front of fucking two, three, four, five hundred fucking people. It's not easy. No. Mm -mm. And I always tell them, you think you can do it? Okay. How about I put you in a room? See if you could cut a hair and open your mouth and say what you're doing. I guarantee yeah. you, you would choke <laughs> fucking deer in the headlights. Uh, 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 you know? uh, it's scary, I dude. Saw, I, I saw it happen. There mm. were numerous times that, you know, Andes was looking into bringing in another educator and they would bring him to the hair show and they would throw him into the fucking wolves. Mm. You know, hey, yeah. the stage is right there. You brought your model? Yeah, okay. Show us what you got. Mm-hmm. And they will freeze. Like, wait, you want me to go on stage? Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. you want to do, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's ne- it, it has never been easy. And I tell people, it takes a different type of person mm. that knows how to do that to control a crowd and has all eyes on you while you're teaching. Mm-hmm. It's one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. You know? I'm yeah. like, if you're cutting hair, fuck. You know, it's not that simple. The lighting is not right. The chairs don't fucking function right. The back bar is a fucking mess. You don't even know where shit is. You're mm-hmm. using clippers that are not even yours. That like You don't even know if they're going to work or not. Mm. You know, yep. everything yep. is just on the fly. Yep. And they're like, but why you? I guess... I was at the right place, right time. Yeah. I, everyone's dude. You, you know, the problem is anyone I, I struggle because at the end of the day, I have envy and, and jealousy and, you know, all these issues, just like everybody else. Of course right. I deleted Instagram years ago because of that issue, yeah. you know, and, and I didn't want it to affect me. And so, you know, the people that hate, it's really projection because they are not getting what they need in their own life. They're not being fulfilled. They're not getting the opportunities or, or they're not putting themselves in a place to have that opportunity or they're focusing on stuff that they shouldn't be focusing on to get to that point. You know, like, like a lot of people don't want to put in the real work to get to that place. And they don't, you know, And, and people like people that hate, on on other people in any industry it's a projection of what's inside of them yeah you know sarah sarah my girl um she she has she always says this thing that like sticks out to me people say what what they struggle with the most is what they talk about the most mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so it's like like if there's something in your mind that you that's just eating you alive it's you're gonna talk about it you're going to say it. You're going to point it out about someone else. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I got so much hate from this one person. When, when, when I started cutting Ruby's hair and, and that turned into like 
other things. And uh, I got so much hate from this one dude, you know, that that was like a little brother to us. And it right. hurt me. And we we all know this person. I won't say their name. And then eight months later, dude, no joke, eight months later, selfie with a famous football player. You know what I mean? Oh, look at me, blah, 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 dude. I never fucking posted selfies with a famous person, you know? But you feel confident enough now that you've gotten that opportunity that you could post a selfie and and then say someone else has a fucking ego and they're arrogant about their own career. Like, I'm proud of what I did in my career because I came from fucking shit. You know what I mean? Like, like I was fucking robbing... I was robbing elementary schools at 14 years old to steal computer fucking parts to sell them at a pawn shop. You know what I mean? I wasn't supposed to be doing house calls in Beverly Hills and have business partners that own fucking famous restaurants and clubs in Hollywood. I was proud of my career. I, you know, and, and like, dude, it was all good until this person posts a selfie with a famous football player. And then all the hate stopped. You know what I mean? Oh, so finally, once you get what you need and you're fulfilled, you don't have to hate anymore. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, I I just, it's really why I stepped away from society. Like, whew, you know, I I couldn't, uh, part of my breakdown, dude, in 2019 was I couldn't have conversations with people in the barbershop anymore because people were so divided and so hateful. Like, I don't know what it was. Well, I do know what it was, but like, you know, 2015 and that fucking election in 2016 and the division that happened, like, dude, by the time I opened the Statesman, like February of 2018, I, I couldn't, I couldn't listen to people talk. I couldn't have a conversation with people and the, the, like the hurtful shit and the hateful shit. I just, you know, I I believe in true autonomy. I believe in true freedom. I believe in personal expression. I don't believe in imposing my ideas on someone else's life. I've never, I I can't say never, but I I consciously try to let people be themselves, make your own decisions and do your own thing. And, and, you know, people, I like to think that like, people believe in autonomy and understand what that actually means and allow people to, to, you know, function with freedom, real freedom, like real pure freedom where you don't impose your belief or ideas on anyone else and people can't do it. It's hard. You know, it's hard because we all have opinions and we all want to say like, what I did was right. And dude, what worked for me isn't going to work for you. And what doesn't work for me doesn't mean it won't work for you. Like everyone has to make their own decisions and fail. And, you know, it goes raising kids, man. Like, you know, we, we can't build a fucking shell around someone and think we know better. Like who, who in their right mind as an adult, male, female, whatever, thinks that they have the right to tell someone else what's best for them you know yeah like that's crazy dude i I, i'm blown away by it and you know it it, i'm an i'm a deep empath like 
I obsess over emotional things. It's just who I am. And I couldn't, dude, I deleted Instagram. I deleted Facebook multiple times in my life over the years. And finally, I was like, I have to go to the mountains. (laughs) I got to go live on a sailboat, you know, where I can see Canada from where I am. And like we call going to the mainland, going to America, because we, we live in the wild west where I'm at. And people don't give a fuck what you're doing. Like, I finally live in a place where people believe in true freedom and true expression. The diversity embraces embraces itself. Like, people are different here and all walks of life. No one gives a shit. There's no titles. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's fucking Johnny from down the road. That's a cool dude. Yeah. He's nice. You know, he he might he might be a famous fucking filmmaker, but you wouldn't know because he's he's you're helping him in his garden and growing vegetables. And you know what I mean? It's like that's all that matters. Like, you know what I mean? And it has it has radically changed my life. Um, You know, I I always had imposter syndrome being an artist and being spiritual and seeing things differently and being affected by things differently, like someone would say something in a barbershop, I would spend the next two weeks obsessing over it. You know, I would lose sleep because this person's like, you know, oh, uh, I don't know, random shit. Like that, that was bad. That was negative. Like someone got hurt or whatever. I would, I would literally lay in bed at night in Claremont and obsess over like, oh, this person's cousin got hurt by this other person because they didn't, believe in trump or some shit mm-hmm. you know what i mean and yeah. i would like cry about it for weeks it's so dumb and i was like dude i have to leave i gotta leave society i i ended up being the person like a you know that like i, I just couldn't function and it still happens you know i go to the yeah. i go to the market i hear people talking and someone's mean to a cashier in front of me in line at the market here and i I go home and I cry about it, dude. Right. It's crazy. I can't deal with it. I go to the mainland and I, I'm riddled with anxiety and I have to come back to the island because I'm literally on an island because I can't handle how people treat each other. <laughs> yeah, I believe you, dude. It's I'm crazy. Mean, but hey, yo, listen, um, you got a client waiting? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. We'll pick this up. Yeah. I, dude, I've got a list of notes that I prepared and I'd I'd love to get into them next time. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll send you a text and uh, we'll set it up. We'll we'll get through that one. All right, cool. Sounds good. Awesome. I love you you so much. Appreciate you. I'll see you soon. All right. I love you, man. Yeah. Take care of your clients. Later. Cheers.